Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. My next guest wants to know, does any of this sound familiar? They say he's just lazy, but I'm not sure. I think she's just not motivated, but how can I tell? It seems like he can pay attention if he wants to, so how do I get him to pay attention when he should? I've considered putting her on medication, but I have my concerns. My child was diagnosed with ADHD, so what can I do? For those who parent or teach kids who have ADHD, it might seem that we are often engaged in a battle of wills or wits. But as we will discuss today, kids who are diagnosed with ADHD don't want to make life so challenging and difficult for you or for themselves. Having a child with ADHD can bring chaos and stress into the home and into the classroom. Although children with ADHD can often appear lazy, unmotivated, or manipulative, when you dig deeper, you will find this is often not the case. Our next guest is going to help us to understand ADHD and how we can best help our kids who want to thrive but are often misunderstood and don't quite fit into the mold schools and programs have designed to teach the typical learner and maybe not so much the child with ADHD. Cindy Goldrich is a mental health counselor, certified ADHD clinical service provider, and teacher trainer. As an ADHD specialist, she supports parents, educators, and other professionals to address the impact of ADHD and executive functioning on learning, motivation, and behavior. She's a recognized keynote speaker and provides professional development for school districts and other professional organizations worldwide, addressing how ADHD and executive function challenges affect children and how to help boost behavior and performance in school and at home. Cindy is the author of Eight Keys for Parenting Children with ADHD, a book recognized for providing parents, educators, and therapists with a practical, easy-to-read guide for addressing challenging kids and ADHD executive function and behavior in the classroom, which is expected to print in August 2019. Cindy is the creator of the workshop series, Calm and Connected, Parenting Children with ADHD, designed to teach parents and caregivers how to manage and support their children's unique needs successfully. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. So welcome, Cindy, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled you're here. And before we jump into all of this information, for those who haven't yet seen you speak and listen to any of your coaching programs, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested and passionate about helping kids with ADHD? Thank you, Robin. I actually think that's a great place to start because that's a question I get all the time. You know, these are kids who are just like other kids. These are kids who are funny, active, bright, engaging, but they're also very challenging. And what I have found is, and, and again, I got my master's in counseling back in, I hate to say this, the 80s. We didn't even talk about ADHD. We for sure weren't talking about executive function. But what we know now, we've learned so much about these things, and it's important for everybody to understand that these are kids who just work a little differently, not better, not worse. It's just all different challenges. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is that any time a child is diagnosed with ADHD or even if just, you know, the parent is struggling um, for some of the the impulsivity, the hyperactivity, maybe the, you know, the focusing issues, any of this, 
they are going to benefit by learning what ADHD is. And I think everybody needs to learn what executive function means because we all have executive function. So unfortunately, when parents are unaware about how the constructs such as processing speed and working memory and emotional regulation, all these things that we talk about when we talk about ADHD and executive function, when they're not really sure how these are impacting the kids, they rely on their instincts and their logic to guide them. So even if their first child, you know, was doing great and they think, oh, I've got this parenting thing down pat, they find when the next child comes along, it's just not working. So this leads sometimes for well-meaning and loving parents to inappropriately try to motivate their kids or restrict their kids' behaviors and actions. And that, Robin, just increases the stress all around. Mm -hmm. It increases frustration for the kid, for the parents and the school. And it's all avoidable. So mm-hmm. tell all of us. Okay. All right. Well, I want to start where a lot of parents and educators might want to begin because we have a lot of parents listening in, educators, coaches, people who work with kids in the after school program industry. When you see that a child is not doing his or her homework, not practicing the sport that, you know, that you, you've said, go practice this at home or not cleaning his room, not living up to what you see as his or her potential. And you notice their frustration, you know, you're frustrated and you inevitably, you wonder, how do I know if this kid is just being lazy or if it's ADHD? Well, that's a great question. The short answer is I don't know yet. Um, because we can't just know by an isolated event. And that leads me to say, let's see what's really going on. For instance, is this a pattern of behavior? Is he always struggling to get his homework done? Is he always struggling to practice whatever he's supposed to, to get his chores done, whatever it is that we're looking at? Is this a systemic behavior? That's one of the first things you want to look at. Second thing is, What's the child's motivation to do this you know, task or activity? Is it that the child is internally motivated or is someone dangling either the carrot or the stick, I like to say, mm-hmm. you know, that, that potential reward or that threat of some kind of consequence? If the child is truly motivated and you know this because you know the child well and you know what their, you know, what their inner works are, and they're still having trouble, well, I might say that's not laziness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's another clue. There's another thing. Whose agenda is it in the moment? Not whose agenda is it, you know, overall that the child should be practicing for his, I don't know, his soccer match or something, but in that moment, whose need and desire is it that this child be practicing? We have to remember these are kids. And their sense of time, their sense of motivation, their sense of you know, value in terms of the importance of things is not always as mature as ours is. Mm. So when we think about what their agenda is in the moment, they may have other priorities. You know, they may be thinking about, you know, that their friend went down the block and is playing and they want to get out there. They they may be thinking a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And then finally, what other possible explanations can there be for this child's behavior or lack of involvement, their appearance of laziness? Could it be learning disabilities? Could it be that they lack the understanding of what the requirement really is? Could it be that there are just other things in their you know, thought process that's taking priority right now? Is anxiety playing a role? Is depression playing a role? So, Robin, there's so many things we need to look at before we just assume this kid's being lazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that case, would it make the most sense if a, a parent is concerned about this that they then go to a specialist, a doctor, to find out is it ADHD or is it one of these other things? So... Yes, in general, but there's a few things I'd like them to do first. Okay. The first is I'd like them to try to keep a little log. It doesn't have to be this extensive, extensive log, but try to just observe your child for a few days. 
notice when they are engaged and when they're not engaged. See if there's some, as I said, patterns of behavior. Okay. So that when you, if you do decide to go talk to someone else, you're going to have some specific information and examples you can give. You may want to talk to the teachers and see what do you notice about Johnny? Are there times where he's more engaged and less engaged? Um, are there things you are concerned about as his teacher that can give me some information? So I want okay. them to do a little bit of work before they you know, go to that step. But yes, if there are enough red flags, I say go for it. Go, mm -hmm. go speak to an appropriate person. And you know, if we want to talk about appropriate person for a minute, you know, we could talk about that. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people can diagnose ADHD, let's say. Um, it could be a pediatrician, it could be a neuropsychologist, it could be a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a, neuro a neurologist, a nurse practitioner. There are lots of people that can do the diagnostic work. You want to make sure you're going to someone who is current and expert in ADHD. Because as I said, said when we started, there is so much we have learned in the last several years. Our understanding is much more sophisticated you need to go to someone that is staying current. Mm -hmm. So don't worry as much about their title, worry more about how do they, pro you know, how do they evaluate someone. Got it. Okay. And one of the things that you discussed extensively in your fr the first question that I asked is executive functioning. And I want to know about executive function related specifically to children with ADHD. We've spoken with Seth Perler, who's gone into executive functioning and helped us to understand really what that is. But I'm sure that it comes out in different ways and sort of different challenges with children with ADHD. So what in particular are we looking at? What are some challenges that we're finding with executive function? And um, and how does a, a child with ADHD maybe display a sign that there are some issues in this area? Okay, so let's start off this way. ADHD is an executive function disorder. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is if you've got ADHD, by definition, you're going to have challenges in executive function. If you have challenges in executive function, that does not mean you necessarily have ADHD, right? So it doesn't go both mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's so important that parents understand what executive functions are, that all educators understand what executive functions are because they impact everybody, but especially these kids. Now to your question about, you know, how may it impact these kids more? A few of the telltale signs, and again, I'm not a diagnostician. I don't want you to think that I'm saying, okay, if these are your, your child's characteristics, go get a diagnosis right now. But some of the telltale signs are a slower processing speed. And by processing speed, what I mean is that's the, um, the way you are able to intake information and then appropriately output. So there's verbal processing speed, there's visual processing speed, there's the motor processing. Kids with ADHD very often are slower processors. And there's an article on my website that I wrote years ago that um, I think is very valuable. It's called, How Fast is Smart? Mm -hmm. And what I talk about there is that there is no relationship between speed and intelligence. That just because someone processes more slowly, doesn't mean they are not as intelligent and in fact they may even be very highly intelligent if you listen to some of the greatest orators we have you know some of the politicians and business people they speak very slowly and when you ask them a question they're gonna really sit and ponder it mm. right they may just be processing another example of that is I may say to a child in, in my rush come on do you want the red one or the green one which lollipop do you want hurry up, hurry up, right? They may need to just slow down and ask themselves that question, what lollipop do I want? Mm -hmm. So that's why I say when parents are not understanding that we are all different and that some people may have a slower processing speed, they may hurry the kid up and, and you know, in an exaggerated sense, maybe threaten them, come on, if you don't make a decision now, we're going to just leave. Mm -hmm. 
what we're doing there is we are adding more stress, which is actually making it harder for them to process, mm -hmm. right? You know that when we're under a lot of stress and pressure, we process things more slowly. Right. So that's an example of where I think you need to be aware. Um, working memory is another one. Working memory is um, using the brain's search engine, right, to integrate the, you know, the information you're getting now with what you already know. People with ADHD very often have a weaker working memory. So if I don't realize that and I'm getting all frustrated because I just said, hey, Johnny, do me a favor. Go upstairs, get your backpack, your shoes, your tennis racket. On the way down, could you check my room and get water? <laughs> yeah, you're laughing, right? Like, and parents would be like, well, my kid can't do all of that. Right. right. It may not be, you know, the assumption is, oh, he's being defiant. See, he never listens to me. Right. And I know there are a lot of parents listening right now and like, oh, God, that's right. What I right. Or he's he's always thinking about something else. His head's in the clouds. He's not right, yeah, right, tuned right. in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He doesn't care. But the reality is when parents realize, oh, Johnny has a slow, a weaker working memory. OK, so now what are some strategies I can do? I can tell him one step at a time. Mm -hmm. I can write them down. Mm -hmm. I can give them a visual aid. So you see what I mean, Robin? Mm -hmm. When parents start to understand what these things are, then the tips and tools and strategies that I offer through my work will be a lot easier for them to implement. And and not to not to downplay that, you know, three minutes after this happens, right? So you have the child who goes upstairs and winds up you know, picking up a marble and a book and coming downstairs and the right. parent looks at them and says, remember, I told you to go upstairs to get this and this and this and this and this. And then it's, why don't you listen? And you start to sort of lean into that child. Uh, you're rolling your eyes. You're getting frustrated. Now you're feeling like yeah. you're late. So the jumping to the next couple of minutes, where's the consequence as opposed to here's a list of the four things I need you to get. Um, and, and giving them that little piece of paper, they go upstairs, they get the things and they come down. It, it may take that one extra step, but the, the, uh, three minutes later, you've got two calm people walking out the door. So it, it does really make sense when you start to say, how does this impact my life? Why do I need to know about executive functioning? That ability to execute a task from start to end how can I do that and how does that relate to my child? It, it, it really can have a monumental difference on how your day goes. It has the hugest, hugest effect. My goal when I work with parents, the first thing I wanna do through my work is I wanna create that emotional shift so that they're then, I, I, maybe you know everyone out there can just imagine this, so that they're then sitting on the same side, you know, they're sitting on the couch with their child looking at the problem over there that they now are no longer frustrated with one another, they're instead working together because they understand mm -hmm. the challenges, they understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. Hey mom, when you tell me too many things, I just, I get stressed out and I forget them. Can you write them down for me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mom good. Up. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense and sounds easier for everyone. I mean, I think that, and I'm sure you would agree, that parents and educators, they want to do the right thing. They want to help kids with ADHD. Uh, and sometimes that can actually go in a negative direction. You know, we, we mm -hmm. have to kind of have a balance between helping and taking over. These are two different things. We see a child struggling, and this is really hard when you have a child with ADHD. We see a child struggling in math or to pack their backpack or whatever it is, we wind up inadvertently taking over because we have got to get out the door or we see the child getting frustrated and nobody likes that. And we start to, you know, maybe not even ask the questions that we need to ask, like, you know, did you finish this or that? Um, we see a child maybe struggling to do their science project and then we wind up sitting down and, you know, creating the planets ourselves. These are sort of obvious examples, but, but really how do we know if we as parents and teachers and coaches are supporting a child with ADHD or if we're enabling the child with ADHD? I love that question. And those of you um, out there who have heard me speak or maybe read some of my materials know that I'm, I'm going to give an example and I think it really nails it. So let's say, you know, um, kids gone off to school, you go downstairs and 
um, you see the the violin, yeah, right? Right. And you're like, oh my God, what do I do? And you know, this is the fourth time this month. And you know, if you bring that violin in, the teacher's going to look at you and say, oh my God, right? Mm-hmm. And you may be worried that behind the scenes that teacher's saying, ah, oh, is this parent ever going to learn? You know, this parent just keeps bringing in this violin and is this kid ever going to learn? You know, what's what's the deal? This parent is enabling. Mm. But let's take a look and see what happened behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. See, Johnny's a good kid. Johnny knows the rules are you can't practice your violin until you've done your homework. And we know with this population, homework is taking these kids so much more time mm-hmm. usually, mm-hmm. right? It's the whole process. I mean, that's another whole another whole conversation. Yeah, we may have to have you on again to do that homework. one. Exactly. <laughs> but um, so he knows, okay, I got to do the homework. And now he's a good kid. He wants to practice. He doesn't want to show up not being prepared for his, you know, violin class. So he goes downstairs and he practices the violin. And then the parent calls down and says, hey, Johnny, it's time to go up and get ready for bed. You got to shower, pack up, da, da, da. You know, you'll pack that all up after. So Johnny goes upstairs with the intention, of course, that he's going to go back down and pack it all up. And there you go. He went upstairs. Next morning, parent goes down. They see the violin. Mm. So what does the parent do? The parent realizes, ah, you know what? I got to get better at this. I got to teach him about packing up his, his stuff. And, you know, I've got to work on that. But, oh, my God, I'm so proud of him. He went to school. He made the bus this morning. Right. And he ate breakfast. And okay, he got in a little fight with his sister. And all right, his room is a cyclone. But his shoes matched, you know. So I've got to write this violin thing. I'm going to write that down on my list of things I've got to work with Johnny. Mm-hmm. But that list is really long. And some of those things on the list already are really, really much more important. So for now, I think I'm going to bring the violin in because I don't want him getting in trouble. Mm. So that's where I say, is this parent enabling or supporting? My definition of enabling is doing, and I'll say this twice, because I know a lot of times parents want to write this down. So first I encourage you guys, just listen, and then I promise I'll say it again. Enabling is doing something for someone else without a plan to help them do it for themselves. Mm. See, the parent has a plan. Their plan is, I'm going to add it to my list and get to it when I can, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, my plan is to just bring in the violin. And by the way, for the teachers out there, the recommendation I make to the teachers, when you see a parent is doing that type of behavior, so say to the parent, hey, I noticed you're bringing in the violin in again, or I noticed you helped a lot with the homework or whatever it is. Is there anything I can do to help you? Mm. Because a lot of times the parents are just doing the best they can. Right. Right. That's it. I mean, and, and everybody, again, is on the same team. We want the kids to feel good about themselves. We want to do right by them. And sometimes we need more than one key adult working together mm-hmm. on the same problem in order to get further along. I'd add to what you're saying because I think what you're saying is really important about this idea of enabling that once a child is able to exhibit the behavior on their own and they're doing well with it, that's when you can, you know, you can really step back as well because, you know, the, you go, I've already seen you, you know, make your bed and you do it really well. So I don't have to do that for you. I've seen you put an outfit together. I don't need to do that for you anymore. Once we start doing it anyway, you know, just to make life a little bit easier for our children to hurry it along a little bit. That's when we have to realize, wait a second, am I doing right by my child for the future by continually doing this behavior that he does indeed know how to do for himself and can do and has exhibited that he can do for himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, the one thing I'd add to that, Robin, is that sometimes when a child does kind of either regress or just not mm. do expect them to do you may want to start the conversation by saying hey you know what I noticed normally you're great with you know making your bed and today you didn't do it what's Mm, up right like are they overwhelmed or 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. They need some support in some area. Okay. So that's a really good and important thing to say here. And especially with kids with ADHD, we know that overwhelm can certainly be an issue for them. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, and you brought this up in your book, that Ned Hollowell says in his book, Driven to Distraction, that people with ADHD have magnificent minds and explains that they have Ferrari, a Ferrari engine and bicycle brakes. And we've talked about right. this in my own family quite a bit. Many of the experts we've spoken to about executive function, um, the challenges that come with that, neurodiversity, ADHD, also highlight the assets of having ADHD. And you too talk about needing a strength-based approach, which I really appreciate. My motto is always that children are assets to be developed, not deficits to be managed. So Mm -hmm. I love having a strength-based approach. I truly appreciate you coming at it from that direction, especially with ADHD when so many people are just sitting there trying to, you know, problem solve and look what's wrong with this child. So one of the ways to do this, and it's, it's so concrete that you use in your book, is changing our language when talking to kids about ADHD, but I also say like when talking about them, certainly within earshot. So I'd like to do uh, what we like to do on this podcast sometime is like, don't say this, say that with you. Um, And I'd I'd love to do that with you regarding some of the ways that people talk about kids with ADHD. So for example, um, I'll, I'll say, instead of saying a child is hyperactive, what would we say? How about they're full of energy? Right. So full of energy certainly encapsulates a much more strength-based view. So we'll do some more. Um, Instead of strong-willed. These are kids that are fiercely independent. Mm, Okay. Excellent. Daydreamer. Oh, daydreamer. You know what? They're they're just, you know, creative. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, these are the people that like their thoughts are just wandering and that's great. That's how you come up with these kind of creative ideas. Mm, okay. How about, this is a big one, instead of lazy. Uh, I could use a little lazy in my life, Robin. I, I don't have ADHD <laughs> and I'm always on the go. Lazy is sort of laid back, relaxed mm-hmm. because time is now and not now. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. okay. Sort of in the moment. Yes. All right. Bossy. Oh, bossy. These are kids and adults who are signs of leadership. Mm-hmm. We talk about that in our family, too. I, I think my daughter has great signs of leadership. Um, distractible. Distractible. That's great. These are the out-of-the-box thinkers. These are the ones that are going to notice that other things outside of their little toolkit yes. might actually add to their project. Yes. I love that my child can walk by a door and say, Mom, did you see that sunset? Come over here. Yep. You know, and it's, and, and I hadn't, right? So, or he's noticing the squirrel in the tree, the deer in the woods, you know, he's noticing the moss on the ground. He mm-hmm. notices everything, but we have had adults, especially in, let's say a camp based situation say, well, instead of focusing on basketball, your child was looking at the snake in the grass and was like, that sounds like, you know, that definitely sounds like him because he will notice all of those kinds of things. The snake yeah. on the ground, the frogs hopping across, you know, it's, of course. And and actually, I find that to be quite appealing. So Absolutely. It's- and, and don't forget, that's where, again, you can hark back to the creativity also. That's where innovation can start to come from mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're not just thinking linearly. Right, right. And, and of course, if there's a snake in the grass, I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> this, I think, is a big one for the adults who are listening. Argumentative. Oh, boy. Okay. These are the kids that they can convince you that the answer is yes when you thought for sure the answer was no. <laughs> right? They are persuasive. These yes. are your future lawyers. Mm-hmm. Yes. You see it early on in life, too. Yeah. Right? They're like, that kid should be a lawyer. Absolutely. You know, and debate that, team. that ties into that whole strong will. Like, they believe. I mean, they are just passionate about what they believe. Yes. Right? Absolutely. All right. I'll give you one more how about difficulty transitioning? Uh, okay. Well, these could be the kids sometimes that are hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. You know, Raman, when people talk about ADHD, the whole name ADHD doesn't really make much sense, right? right? 
I mean, we're, we're calling it attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We already know that some of the kids are not hyperactive. Of course, they absolutely. They more of the inattentive type. And it's not really attention deficit. It's a deficit in the ability to regulate what they're paying attention to, like you were just saying, seeing the snake. So difficulty transitioning comes from that sometimes they can't necessarily focus on what they intend to focus on, or they may be too focused, which as I said, we call that hyper-focus. Right, right, which actually can be an incredible resource to them if they're hyper-focused on something, a project or building something and they can do that and we you know we hear from parents like he can do that for three hours at a time so why can't he just write his report well you know they're not able to necessarily focus on the the task that other people think they're supposed to be focused on but they certainly can focus on something they're interested in yeah okay so one of the big areas that you talk about in your book is this idea of of remaining calm which is tough, is tough. Let's just, you know, admit that. You say that in order to parent a child with ADHD, you've got to remain calm. Now, in just regular circumstances, regular life, parenting can be tough and remaining calm can be tough. And we know that this is sort of easier said than done, especially when you're feeling frustrated or engaged in yet again, another argument that you never were interested in having in the first place. And here you are again, the fifth day in a row having the same argument. So in one of the areas of your book, you talk about this anger thermometer, like feelings, emotions thermometer, and how important it is to see that your level of anger can negatively impact how you act and the consequence of that action. So can Mm -hmm. you talk about the need to be calm and its impact as well as what happens on the flip side when we sort of flare up and get into a rage and, you know, and have the consequences of that when you're having a child with ADHD? Right, right. That's a, that's a great question. And, and I know, you know, having read my book, you know this, my belief is that calm is power. Yes. And it really is. In fact, I have magnets that, that many, many people have that I made up years ago that say calm is power. Mm. And parents put it on their refrigerators and their underwear drawer anywhere they can to remind themselves. So this is, this is what happens. If you've ever tried, if you've ever been with a child and you're getting so frustrated and they're just, they're having a meltdown and everything, and you just look at them and you say, will you just calm down? It's oh, calm down. so okay, helpful. Yeah, scream. <laughs> and does that work? It doesn't work, but it happens. I mean, like I even, t- I actually like, I study this stuff and sometimes I find things fly out of my mouth and I'm like, really? Like that's yeah. the best you can do in this situation? <laughs> doesn't work. No. Exactly. But what happens is... If you know the science of the brain, it's really very simple. When we are not calm, we are in the back part of our brain. We're in the amygdala, in the emotional part of the brain, okay? We're not getting that blood flow to the front part of the brain, which is where the executive functions are, that whole prefrontal cortex. We're not able to think and reason and plan and all of those wonderful you know, skills that we have. We can't engage those. So when we're not calm, that's when we go into fight, flight, freeze. And are you familiar with the fourth F? Fib. Oh, fib? Somebody else gave me another one. Yeah. Yeah, there was was another one beyond the fib. But good. Fib is good. This is a huge thing. And parents will always say, I know there are a lot of parents sitting out there, yeah, my kid lies. Why does my kid lie? Mm. They lie because they're boxed into a corner because they're good kids and they don't know how to, they know they're not supposed, they know they're supposed to cooperate. They know they don't feel they can do it. They know they, you know, they, they can't escape the situation. So they just try to talk their way out of it. Right. Mm. So that's what that fib very Mm. often is. Mm. That's one explanation. Of course, that's not the only explanation for fibbing. Right. Of course. Bringing this back to the calm issue, what happens is without calm, they can't learn. No, you know, your, your bribery, your encouragement, your, all of those things, the threats, everything, they can't process it as much. So we need to help them calm down. But calming is a skill. And guess who it has to start with? Yes, right. It has to start with us. Otherwise, they're not able to regulate themselves. Or if it starts with us and we're angry, guess what happens? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. And I can tell you that, you know, my, my workshop, my common connected workshop, 
I can tell you that after the first of seven sessions, parents come back and they say, wow, I see the difference mm. that when I calm down, the whole environment starts to shift. Yes. You know, of course, just calming down is not an easy thing. And that's why we have to work on how we calm ourselves down. Mm -hmm. But it's a huge issue. Mm. Yes. I thank you for bringing that up. And I know as a, as a parent, it can be really difficult and it is not, you know, just something like uh, something that we could just say, Oh, I'm going to be calm from now on. And that's it. You're right. We do need to, uh, take some measures. I know one of the things you talk about is, you know, meditation. We might need to step away. Um, we might need some kind of mantra. Calm is power is, is definitely something that we can say to ourselves, but it, it, it's not as easy as just declaring that that's what's happening. And so that is what is. Yes. Yeah. So what can we do to help strengthen our connection with our child who has ADHD so that they can thrive? Because I know you speak a lot about connection. So give us what something that we can do today, this week, this month that will help with the connection so that our children feel like they have a place, a foundation so that they can thrive. Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking that. One of the best things you can do, and this is going to sound so simple and so complex at the same time, is spend one-on-one -on -one time with your child. Mm. But I'm going to be very specific about that. Choose in advance with your child, hey, you know what? Let's plan you know, half an hour that you and I are going to do something today. Let your child choose the activity. So in other words, it's not, hey, I'm going to grab you and we're going to go to the supermarket. <laughs> You know, it's not, oh, you know what? I know you want to learn to ride a bike this summer. Let's go out and learn. It's something that the child wants to do. So we have a bigger chance that they're going to be happy, successful, and, and relaxed doing it. Because mm. we want to have these enjoyable experiences with our children so that from that, that's the building block, right? If I can't start having some of those experiences with my child, how are we going to talk about the stressful times? How am I going to bring up the issues where, hey, you know what, I don't, you know, the way homework's going or bedtime or all these other things if, you know, we're constantly at each other. Mm. So I really want to create those golden times. And believe me, those of you who have teenagers out there, yes, teenagers do want to spend time with you. They don't admit it. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> don't want to anymore. But sometimes if, you know, there's a lot of suggestions that happen. One of them is, just say, hey, you know what? While you're doing your thing, do you mind if I kind of hang out with you and I'm going to read my book? Just bringing back that physical proximity mm. can help relax the relationship. Mm. Really great idea. And I think sometimes we, we do perceive our children as wanting to step away from us. And, and yes, of course, they want to indiv individuate, but that they also do want to spend time with us. And finding a, a, a an area of of space or a time when we can connect, even if we're not speaking to one another, even mm -hmm. being in proximity to each other, as you were saying, can, can help facilitate that. And it just says to your child, I want to be with you. And That's just true. saying that, just showing that can be a, a great connector. Um, yeah, and yeah. I even say, you know, that's why I say plan in in advance mm -hmm. because there's nothing that says I love you more than having them being willing to put your child on your calendar because mm. they see you, you know, you're so busy with this and that and the other thing and they're so busy, but Hey, you know what? If we can make time for a doctor's appointment. If we can make time for, you know, all the other activities. We can make time for each other. So beautiful. And that I'm sure I'll be putting on a meme later on for you <laughs> and putting that all over the place. I'd love that. So one of the things you provide is a formula for effective praise, sort of going along with that same, like how do we connect more with our child? How do they know that we find them valuable? This idea of effective praise is really important because, uh, you know, we, we are in a world where I think a lot of the time we kind of just say good job or we kind of check something off our list, list checker, and say, you know, that's done, let's move on. But we do need to take some time to effectively praise our children and especially those kids with ADHD um, and some neurodiversity, given that 
so much of the time people harp on the negative. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you do is provide these three ends, notice, name, and nourish. And I like that you have a system for this. So how can we effectively praise kids with ADHD so that they feel more connected with the key adults in their lives? Can you talk a little bit about how we can use those three ends? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll repeat I'll repeat them, which is notice, name, and nourish. First, you want to notice what your child is doing. Catch them in the act of doing something good. And parents will say, oh, my God, you know, I can't find anything good right now. (laughs) You're just, like, irritated, right? We get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. And that's why I say that's why that one-on-one time that we talked about a few minutes ago is so valuable because you're going to increase the chances that you can have some of those things to notice. Right. So notice specifically what they're doing and then name it because very often we say, oh, good job, and they don't know whether the good job was that they stopped shaking their leg or tapping their pencil. <laughs> right. Right. You know, what What did I do that was good? You right, know? exactly. So it's it, like a sort of global good job, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So specifically name it and then nourish it. Say something warm. Say something valuable about it. Again, it's not about that they pleased you. So, for example, I might say, you know, hey, hey, Johnny, that was so nice. You saw that Sally was struggling to learn her game, and you went over and helped her. Good for you. Mm-hmm. That's a lot different than just ignoring the two of them because, wow, they're playing so nicely together. I can right. go you know, fold the laundry. Yes. Right. right. Let sleeping dogs lie. They're doing a good job, exactly. so I'm just going to go over here. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing I say to parents is, you know what, if, you're, if you want to really kind of notice what you're doing in terms of this with your children – Take 20 pennies at the beginning of the day and put 10 pennies in each pocket. And each time you've got to um, correct your child, even if you're saying it nicely and appropriately, like, hey, you forgot your jacket or whatever, put a penny in the left pocket. But each time you praise your child, put a penny in the right pocket. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, see what that count is. And then realize, because you were saying, you know, especially for kids with ADHD, this is so important. You know why? Because these kids are hearing no and what they're doing wrong all All day long. Even if the world isn't explicitly saying it, they know they're not on task. They know they're doing something wrong. We need to balance all those negative messages they're getting with a lot more positive messages. Right. Oh, so well said and so important. And I love the idea with the pennies. So concrete. And what do you end up with at the end of the day? Is it, you know, that you have more in the right or more in the left? And you certainly know that uh, maybe the next day needs to be a little different. I like that idea. Um, before we get to the top tip, I wanted to hit on one of the areas that I just liked in your book, which was the defiance dance, because I just, (laughs) I could relate to this. This is an area of great frustration for parents and educators. I'm sure people would understand what this is like. Like we make a request, like, please do your homework or please pick up the stuff on the floor. Your child defies it. You repeat the request then you might get angry, you repeat it again, he defies, he finally does it, or you give up. It's exhausting. And you know, then in the morning, you you might find it, you're doing it with like, can you eat breakfast? Can you get dressed? Can you brush your teeth? And you do it. It's not just one dance per day. It's like multiple dances per day. Each time you're making this request. So what do we do to avoid getting into this defiance dance that happens again and again? What's like the sort of antidote to this defiance dance. Well, that's a that's that's at the core of all of this, isn't it? Yes. And, no. <laughs> Give us the answer. <laughs> I you know what, Robin, I'm not going to frustrate you and your audience. I'm definitely going to give you some stuff, but this is a this is the core of the issue, yeah. right? How do I how do I get out of this defiance dance? It it starts with where we started before, which is the connection with your child mm-hmm. and the calm. But it also means that we have to be really clear up front with what our rules and our expectations are. And we need to know, you know what, what's my response going to be when I see when I get a no? Is this something that I absolutely have to pursue? Is this something that I'm going to maybe want to let go of? Or is this maybe that, you know what, he doesn't realize what will happen if he doesn't do this. So there's a lot of prep work that I work with parents to do around this defiance dance. Mm. 
To avoid it, we can absolutely avoid it. I promise you, I've done this with hundreds of parents, but it's gonna take some work on our end proactively to really determine what are the things that are the absolute boundaries, what are the expectations, are they clearly communicated, and what are we gonna do in the moment when it's not happening? Mm. Okay, so I we do a lot of scripts on this podcast because it's important that we know the kinds of things to say. And say we've been doing this defiant stance with uh, it's time to turn off the iPad because that's one that so many people deal with. It's mm -hmm. time to get off the electronics. And we make the request and we get the no. So what would be an example of if this child is in front of you, you've been listening to this podcast, we want to make the change. We don't want to do this defiance dance. We want to, you know, connect with our child. We want to do the right thing. What would we say in that moment? What would be an example of something that we could say or do in that moment so that we don't go further down the rabbit hole? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you gave an example of something that's certainly very complex for so many reasons, the putting down the iPad. You can choose something else. I, it's just, I was thinking no, of something I, I can even work with that. I can work with that. Um, if I have, in advance, absolutely explored fully what is getting in the way of this child listening to me, mm. Is this, you know, part addictive behavior? Is it part, you know, in other words, why is this child maybe not listening mm. to me? If I'm very clear, and we've had these discussions before, and he knows what the consequence will be, I'm going to be in a great position. I'm just going to reinforce and say, hey, Johnny, you know that if you don't, this is what the situation is. Right, right. We and said that it was 15 minutes. And we said if you go over the 15 minutes that you lose the iPad for the next day or whatever. You, we agreed on this. So that's right. already there. Like I'm just, I, that's just a consequence out of the top of my head. I have no idea. But, right. But here's where parents get into trouble. They get into trouble because the consequence that they chose and how they communicated that, they thought was really clear and everything. But that consequence may not be the right consequence. Oh, no, okay. And that's why I'm saying this is a bigger conversation. Right. Because I firmly know from experience, from science, from everything else, that especially when you are dealing with ADHD, the reward and motivation center of the brain is not as well developed. I'm mm -hmm. going to say that again. The reward and motivation center of the brain is not as well developed. So that's why I know there are a lot of parents sitting there when I say this and they're saying, oh, so all those sticker charts I've no, been using, yeah, garbage, right. All those threats and everything, yeah, that's not working. And that's why, Robin, I have my whole you know, program, that's why we need to do some deeper work before we just say, this is the consequence. Right, right, okay. And is it the same thing if we're choosing something that seems like, like you just got undressed, you left your clothes on the floor, or you just just need to pick up this jacket. Is it the same without when it's not something like electronics that has so much relying on it, and there's also the uh, sort of addictive behavior that's around it? If it's just the child walks in, drops his jacket or shoes on the floor, and you're just asking them to pick it up, is the answer any different? Nope. No. It's exactly the same. It all has to do with, you know, how did I communicate this? What are my boundaries? What are my expectations? What do I know is getting in the way? And what don't I know is okay. getting in the way? And that's why I've got to really involve my child. Okay. Give us your top tip. Um, I would say what you pay attention to grows. Okay. And I'll explain that. Okay. If what you are paying attention to as a parent of your child is all the frustration, all the, all the things that are going wrong, all those things you're worried about because, oh my God, how is he ever going to graduate, leave the house, get married, have his own life, right? 
what you pay attention to grows. I need you to pay attention to what they're doing well, yes. what they're doing good. Because if I can't see it in my child, guess who else can't see it? Right. The child himself and everybody else around. That's mm -hmm. right. So I need my child to see themselves as that lion looking in the mirror. Yes. And not the pussycat. Mm -hmm. I need them to see the wonder of who they really are. And if I can't see it myself, I'm not going to help, help them see it. Awesome. What's the resource of the week? Where can people go to get more information about you and everything else that you're doing and all your great programs? Thank you. The main resource is going to be my website, which is ptscoaching.com. That stands for, by the way, Pathways to Success, because I believe these kids don't have just one pathway. They have multiple pathways. Mm -hmm. So PTS Coaching, you're going to see there information about my parent workshops um, that I offer, my teacher trainings that I do, my book, and all sorts of other things. I've got tons of articles and resources and everything else there. And also, they can just reach out to me. They can email me, cindy at ptscoaching.com. Excellent. And we'll have all these links on the show notes of this podcast. Thank you so much, Cindy, for your insight and your strategies. I love what you're saying here about these multiple pathways to success and that there are answers to help kids with ADHD and also the parents and the teachers who want to help them. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. You're wonderful, and I love the work you do, so thank you. Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it, drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. And I will be going back and forth with Cindy on social media, just putting things out there. She said so many great things today. I'm sure you would agree that need to be put on memes so we can share them all over the place. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about the outstanding solutions that Cindy talked about and use them in their own homes and be able to get in touch and see all the great work she's doing. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please Please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. I know you've probably heard things today where you just said, oh, goodness, I made a mistake, and that's okay. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information,